Christian brother in Nepal wrote recently, I believe in Jesus with full confidence and without fear. Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. What a powerful testimony from Nepal, especially when you realize how difficult it is to be a follower of Christ there. You know, God's Spirit is at work in our lives and in the lives of people around the world, using His Word and His people to share God's transforming power. Bottom line, God changes us. He gives us new life when we trust in Jesus as our Savior and then gives us His Spirit for the power to live it. That mirrors what we'll learn today in our continuing study in the book of Ezra. What's the difference between who we are today and our position in Christ for eternity? Dr. McGee will explain what our condition and position are in Christ and if there really is a difference. So turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 5. Now, as you find your place in God's Word, let me read a few letters to you from several African listeners on the Bible bus. The first one says, Before knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, I was living in darkness and had no peace at all. But since I began listening to Through the Bible, I got great relief and experienced the joy of the Lord. I then became a regular listener. I love the program, and I try to follow the principles that are taught. Today, God has changed my life, and I feel intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ only because of studying His Word. I am now very happy in Christ, and my faith is strengthened. Please pray for my relatives that they too may hear the gospel and receive by faith Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I believe that one day my entire family will come to the Lord through this program. Now here's a letter from a Bambara listener in East Africa. I was trapped under satanic clutches and was always sick. I believed in the so-called idols and my life became more miserable. It was at this juncture that through the Bible came into my life as a gift through which I found the living and true God. Since I have been listening to this program, the Lord opened my eyes and gave me new life. The word of God that is shared is so powerful that it has caught my entire attention and has taught me how to live a godly life. God has blessed me spiritually as well as physically. He speaks with me on a daily basis as we study together. Well, that's a powerful testimony. And then lastly, here's a letter from a Pular listener from the Congo. We live in a jungle, and no pastor or servant of God visits our village. But we praise God for your teaching that comes every night and through which we receive spiritual blessings. It comes in our own language, so we can easily understand what God wants to say to us. I love the songs of the program, and the whole day I sing these songs, which keep me close to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray you may reach to more villages that are in jungles. We want to say that this program is very useful among our people, and many of them are receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. There are lots of people like us who are being transformed. Well, clearly the Lord's working in the lives of African people is through the Bibles being heard, even in remote places where there are no missionaries or even pastors. In fact, these programs have, in one sense, become both missionary and pastor to many people around the world. And I want to share this to encourage you who are praying for and financially supporting through the Bible. This is truly fruit of your support. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you for answering our prayers, for your word to reach your whole world. We ask that you would continue to bless the lives of these listeners and all those who study with us in more than 200 languages. Would you open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with today's study of Ezra 5 and 6 on Through the Bible. Now today as we come to the fifth chapter of the book of Ezra, we now have come to this section that we have labeled Renewal of Rebuilding of the Temple. We saw last time that the rebuilding 
of the temple was stopped by the opposition of the enemy. They got a letter off to the king, and they gave a false impression of Jerusalem. They called it that rebellious and bad city. Well, God didn't call it that at all, though they had rebelled against him. It was a city that is the city of the great king, more said about it than any other city in the Word of God. And the enemy now, though, has been able to successfully stop the work for a while. It is suspended because of the decree. Now, these people knew that the investigation that was made was not thorough. The king Artaxerxes did go back and find out that there had been a rebellion on the part of these people. And at the very end of the southern kingdom of Judah, well, it looked pretty bad. Three times they rebelled right toward the end. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar came, destroyed the city. But now they did not investigate thoroughly because though they found that to be true, they did not look for the decree that had been made to rebuild the city. Now, we find during this period, it was a period of great discouragement. And so these people would be naturally inclined to not only leave off building, but we'll also find from Nehemiah, they were so discouraged, they felt like leaving, just walking away from it all. That would be the best way to solve their problem. There's so many people feel like, if I can just get away from where I am, I'll solve my problem. Well, that's not always true. I'll grant it, it could be true under certain circumstances, but you can't run away from your problems. So that this time, and we're thankful the people didn't run away, we find out God raised up the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. We talked about them before, and very candidly, we ought to study those two books in connection with Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. And in fact, Daniel belongs in the same package. All of these would be very profitable to study them together. And someday I may come to that. When I was head of the English Bible Department here at the Institute in Los Angeles, it was my thought if I had continued in that capacity, why I would probably have brought them together. It should be done. And here I am going through the Bible and saying again what should be done, but I haven't done it even yet. Probably never will, but I make this suggestion. I understand that there's quite a few ministers that listen to us and use our material in many ways in teaching, and we're delighted for that. We feel honored that they do that. But I hope some of them who have the time and the ability that they'll join these books together. Now we're told... In verse 1, then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Now, these men were raised up of God to encourage the people to continue the building because they knew that there was a decree from Cyrus that they could continue that building. And so the Lord raised up these two prophets. And Haggai calls them the Lord's messengers in the Lord's message that he'd raised up. Well, these two men, as we've said before, were very much unlike. 
The only thing they had in common was they both were prophets of God. This man, Haggai, he's a man had his feet on the ground. He was very solid, very stable individual, one that you could rest upon. He wanted the facts. And he carried a measuring rod along with him, and he measured everything. Everything had to be all wood a yard wide and warranted not to rip, tear, unravel, or run down at the heel. And it had to be 36 inches to the yard. That was Haggai. He got right down to the nitty-gritty. And this man spoke, we would say today, to the conscience of the nation. And his messages were messages that went down deep, and they hurt. That type of a man's not popular today, by the way. You speak the Word of God today, you're in trouble. Now, this man here spoke the Word of God, and he was speaking to the conscience of the nation. Now, Zechariah was a different type individual. He didn't have his feet on the ground. He had his head in the clouds. And as we said before, his tremendous vision. Just imagine a woman floating through the air in a bushel basket. My friend, that's way out yonder, any way you look at it. But it had a tremendous message. And this man, Zechariah, will appeal to the emotions of the people, to their heart. And here we have these two men that God raised up. God has given to all of us a conscience and a heart. And these men now are speaking to the conscience and heart of the nation. And these men were the ones that God used. Apparently, Haggai was considered the chief, the leader of them. Now, what did they encourage them? Well, we can't turn now to the two prophecies, but they attempted to encourage the people to continue in the building. Now will you notice, then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Now what actually happened was these enemies heard about it. At the same time came to them Katni, governor on this side of the river, and Shether, Bosni, and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? In other words, what's the big idea? Well, <laughs> may I say to you that these men are not going really to answer them in a way that seems to be satisfactory. In fact, it wasn't. To begin with, these two men were enemies. I've never heard of these two before, by the way. I mean by that, this is a only place I can find where they are mentioned in the Word of God. And they are asking a question, and they are men of the world. And these people are not about to cast their pearls before swine. And after all, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and with no one else. And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And Zerubbabel and his helpers, they didn't refer to the prophets and say, well, the prophets told us to go ahead, but they just answered a fool according to his folly. And they gave another question, says, what are the names of the men that make this building? They said, by the way, we didn't see your name on the list that was given to us. Maybe you got another list. And if you are part and parcel in this, we'll be glad to answer you. But if you are the fact your name's not on the list, we'll not answer you. 
In other words, that is what I would call a very nice way of saying it's none of your business. You have no right to ask that question. Now, that puts these men in a rather difficult position who are rebuilding the temple. And what happens? Well, they go on, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. And the wonderful thing is that you can depend on God to keep his eye on those that are his own, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius, and then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. Now, so off goes another letter to the king. This time, Darius is the king. Apparently, about seven years had gone by. The copy of the letter that Tatnai governed on this side of the river, and Shetharbaznai and his companions, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Rias the king. They sent a letter unto him wherein was written thus. Now, listen to this letter. This is another one. The enemy gets off post-haste, sends it, I think, special delivery. Under Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones and timbers laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on and prosperous in their hands. And the thought in the letters you can see is this, well, we didn't go up there specifically to spy this out. We are really not their enemies. We just happen to be in the neighborhood, and we wanted to drop by for a little visit, and this is what we found. That's the impression they give. And then they go on, verse 9, Then asked we those elders, and said unto them thus, Who commanded you to build this house to make up these walls? Now, that wasn't quite the question that they brought. You see, they shape it their own way now. And thus they returned us answers, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build a house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven under wrath. He gave them under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried the people away under Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build his house of God, and so on, and even sent the vessels back. Now, will you notice verse 17? Now, therefore, if it seemed good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. Now, these enemies did not believe that there was a decree ever made by Cyrus. And they therefore said in this letter, that's what these people are saying, and that's the basis on which they're rebuilding, is the fact that they say there was a decree. And they felt certain that when the records in Babylon were examined, it would be found out that no decree had ever been made and that these people were doing this on their own. Well, you find out now here in chapter 6 that the work goes on, and these people are encouraged to continue the work. And it's quite interesting that there has always been a great deal made of the position of God's people 
and the condition of God's people. And those two things are quite separate, by the way. One is the condition, that's one thing, and the position, that's something else. Now, these people positionally were in the very place God wanted them to be, back in the land. That was the decree made. God had decreed this, and Cyrus acknowledged that he was doing it at the command of God. So these people are in the position where God wanted them to be. But my friend, their condition is not so good. They're discouraged. And they could walk away from it and do it very easily, and they were about to do that. And now God raises up these prophets to encourage them, you see. It's one thing to talk in such a manner that we get our position and our condition mixed up. It's one thing to say, safe am I, safe am I. Well, yes, if you're in Christ, you're safe, and that's your position. But very candidly, how's your condition? You discouraged saint? You mean that you're anchored in Christ, you have a sure salvation, and you're discouraged? You want to give up? You want to quit? You want to walk away from all of it? Well, my friend, may I say to you, your condition's bad. Your position is good. And that was the state of these folk here. Now, the very interesting thing is, God's with his people. His will's going to be done. And we find here that something was discovered. The enemy, really, this was a case of his foot getting in his mouth. He should have kept quiet. Because here's what happened. Chapter 6 now. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. They went out and dug up the old archives that were covered with dust way back down in the basement somewhere. And that was found at Acmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll. And therein was a record thus written in the first year of Cyrus, the king, the same Cyrus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices. Let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof, and so on and so on. And we find here, also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth, and they found it all there, you see. And all of this was now found by Darius. In other words, he never would have known about this if the enemy hadn't mentioned it. And the enemy made a real blunder here for the very simple reason he didn't believe there was a decree like that. Now will you notice, verse 6, Now therefore, Tatnai governor beyond the river, Shether Bosnai and your companions, the Aphrasakites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. Listen, this is what Darius now says. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree that ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they may be not hindered. Now, this man that was governor, he had a political job over there, 
And he thought that by virtue of all of that and the report he'd made, that he could stop the building of this temple in Jerusalem. Now, when the decree of Cyrus was located, why, this king feels like, well, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be altered or changed. And so he immediately sends word, says, Now, look, I not only don't want you to hinder that work, but the taxes that you gather over there on that side of the river, you keep it over there to help these folk in rebuilding the temple. May I say to you that God does make the wrath of man to praise him. And this was a case of it. And we're told that they were to be given young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offering of the God of heaven. And you notice again the reference he's called the God of heaven. He's now returned back to his place. Wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests, which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. In other words, you're to help them now and not hinder the work at all. And what a decree this was. Fact of the matter is there was a very severe penalty on anyone now who would attempt to hinder the work and who did not help them in all that they were to do. Now we're told here in verse 14, And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And I wish right now I could turn to those two prophets. They are marvelous. We call them minor prophets. Well, they were batting in the major leagues, even if you call them minor prophets. And we're told they built it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now we're told this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. And the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Now, who's the rest of the captivity? Those are the ten tribes that a great many people today have lost. They didn't get lost. They're not lost. Verse 17, And they offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and for a sin offering, for whom? For all Israel. Two tribes? Judah? No. Twelve tribes, my friend. For all Israel. Twelve he-goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Now, don't tell me today that ten of them got lost and they've ended up yonder in Great Britain and a few of them came over on the Mayflower to this country. That's just simply not true. The record here is very clear that at this time they were not lost. And if they are lost, then all twelve are lost because they're together here. And we'll see that again a little later. Now, we're told that they kept the Passover. And what is that Passover? That speaks of the death of Christ. Christ, our Passover, is offered for us. And they gathered around this great Passover feast, which means they're gathering around the person of Jesus Christ, and it's according to the Word of God. Now, we'll have to leave off there today, but we now will see the delegation that returns to the land under Ezra the next time. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. 
Well, I sure hope you're enjoying our five-year journey through the whole Word of God. We're hearing more and more how people are so creative in how they listen. You know, some people listen on radio like generations have for 50 years, and others listen online at ttb.org or at oneplace.com. Some listen by podcast, others on their computer or phone, others listen via the Bible Bus flash drive, which contains all five years of the studies with Dr. McGee's booklets and notes and outlines included, and then they download it all and put it on their digital devices. Some rave about our app that gives them flexibility and time and place and what book they can study, and then still others listen on Alexa and other similar devices. And then the newest way that folks are studying God's Word on the Bible bus is through our Bible Companions. You can find out more about these options at ttb.org. So what's your favorite way to listen? Well, we'd certainly love to know. And when you write and tell us, share something that God has been teaching you through our study of God's Word together. You can reach us at BibleBus at ttb.org or Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. We're back in Ezra next time as we learn what made Ezra a great man from God's perspective. Until then, if you need to reach us, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save you a seat on this journey through the Bible. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.